0: When you think about the world that you want to be a part of, what do you think of? When you think about the community that you want to be a part of, what kind of community would you like it to be? When you think about the kind of church that you would want to be a part of, what kind of church might that be? We're wrapping up a four-week series called Rhythm. And for the last six weeks, we've actually taken the first three weeks to talk about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, why we have the Holy Spirit. And then the first three weeks of this series called Rhythm, we've been just talking about how to be in step with the Spirit, how to, how to enhance our life through prayer and praying in the strength of the Spirit, what it means to live out our life and to live in the character of the Holy Spirit. You know, so far as we've unpacked this, we've begun to realize that for many of us, when we think about being in rhythm with the spirit, it's really a, it's an individual process. Most of us find ourselves dancing with ourselves, right? Isolated and alone, doing our own thing. But what if God is raising up a rhythm nation? You know, a group of people, a a global church, That is dancing to the same beat, God's beat, God's heartbeat, God's rhythm. What would that look like? And what would happen if we got into a cadence together that as we danced as one church, it would begin to stir up relationships around us. People wanting to belong to this community of faith, to understand how God might be working in and through their lives to transform the world around them. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to find ourselves today. Now, Colossians is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. And this letter is describing uh, this new life in Christ that they've found. It's a church plant, a young church that has begun to know uh, this resurrected Jesus. How Jesus who died, was buried, and rose again has life-transforming power for each and every one of us given to us by his spirit that gives us the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Now, the city of Colossae, that's why they're called Colossians, the city that they're a part of is known as a, a city of commerce. It's on a trade route. And what it's known for more than anything else is the fabric and the clothing that they've made. They're kind of like fashion central, if you will. And so what happens is this apostle, this, this man who's come to faith, a, a dramatic transformation in this relationship with Jesus, is writing to them a letter in the context and understanding about clothing and what it means to live a life after Jesus. Here's what it says in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, when it says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all these virtues, and and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Now, the Colossians 3 is very similar to some of the passages that we've we've taught out of over the last few weeks like Galatians chapter 5 when Paul talks about how there's a way that we live on our own that leads to death. Its behaviors, its patterns, its its habits, it leads to a life of death and rebellion that presses against God, but the life in the spirit, it leads us towards life that breathes life. It gives life. Paul's just gotten done in the first portions of Colossians chapter 3 talking about the kind of life that we should have, that we should get rid of, that we should throw off, that we should stop some of these habits and behaviors that lead towards a life of death so that we can live in this new life in Jesus. And he describes, that's why he says, therefore, he describes and begins to talk about Christians, followers of Jesus. And he says followers of Jesus, are they're, they're described kind of right out of the gate in three different terms. First of all, they're God's chosen people, that they're chosen. It was God's choice for us to know him. God made a way through the sacrifice of Jesus that we might have a relationship with God once again, but God chose us first. Second of all, uh, he describes us, he says, therefore, we're holy, right? We're set apart, meaning our life is now not for our own, but our life is set apart to live out God's will, God's mission, under God's authority. And then the third phrase that he uses is loved. Dearly loved. That's who we are. That we belong to God. No longer are we individuals, isolated, orphaned in the world that we're a part of, but now we belong to the family of God, and we have the ability to now approach God as our father, even to call him daddy. So we're given this, we're given this command to clothe ourselves differently. Why? Because when we understand whose we are, we begin to approach life like our Father, our Heavenly Father. And when we talk about clothing ourselves differently, we understand that in in the in the letters to early churches, when the idea of clothing is played out, it's it's usually connected to that we're clothing ourselves in the clothing of Christ. Whether that be the salvation that we've received, that we've gone from this temporary moments to life everlasting, whether we put on the character of Jesus. But this clothing is given to us as a metaphor so that we might understand who we are in Jesus and how our character needs to be displayed to reflect the very nature of Jesus. He gives us five characteristics that we need to understand that we're putting on, the clothing that we're going to wear. If we've been given this new life in Jesus and we're going to bear the character of Jesus, what does this clothing look like? Five characteristics, he says, are this. First and foremost, we put on compassion. Compassion is that gut-wrenching passion for suffering with others. It's saying, I am with you. Kindness is this, is this goodness and graciousness towards all. It's saying, I am for you. Humility is a posture of service that we come as people who say, I serve you. And gentleness, <laughs> gentleness is the opposite of arrogance and assertiveness that we would be be willing to to concede, to listen, to learn. It's it's to say, I I empathize, I sympathize with you. And the fifth characteristic, he says, is patience. Not necessarily a characteristic we like to talk about, but patience is the self-restraint that enables us to bear an injury and not retaliate or walk away from people. It's the statement, I won't quit you. These five characteristics are clothing that doesn't naturally necessarily fit us in our lives. It's kind of like knowing that you've got to shed a few pounds, right? Before you need to get into that swimsuit. And so coming to Christ, we realize that we've got to change who we are. That in order for us to fit in this character, there is a bending of our knee to the will of God to say, God, if we will bear your characteristics and we're going to live out like we love and know you, then God changes. us. But he says, all of this, all of this clothing, all this fabric, it's bound together in one thing and it's love. Love binds it all together. Now this may surprise you, but I'm not a guy who really watches Dancing with the Stars. Okay? But every now and then they have a football player or two who comes out of the Hall of Fame and decides to, to, decides to be on Dancing with the Stars. And one of the things that always catches my attention... It's their clothing, their outfits, and their outfits that they wear when they're hitting on the dance floor, they're they're somehow in a thematic uh, placement or they're done in a way that it should fit the song and the style of the dance. And two things that are always happening in that moment, when I look at their clothing, that one, it expresses the nature of the dance that they're about to be a part of. And second of all, it enhances the attention of those watching the dance. So the clothing that they put on, people are going, okay, it looks like it could be this kind of song, this kind of style. This this is what the song's about. They're trying to capture this theme. But as they're wearing it, the way they turn, the way that they spin, the way that they dip, every part of their clothing is to help bring and draw people in. You get where I'm going with this? That when we put on the clothing of Christ and we begin to dance out the rhythm of God in our world, it should enhance the song and the melody that is playing in our life. And it should draw people in, it should stir up relationships around us so that people want to know what's the difference? Why is your life the way that it is? Now let's go back and pick up these verses again. Let's go back to verse 13. Here's what he says. Bear with each other, And forgive one another if any one of you has a grievance against someone. Almost to qualify and say, uh, you may not have any trouble with anybody, but this is for somebody else, right? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together like, like a compound. It holds them together in perfect unity. Or passages that, that ring out this truth that we know, that we understand. I mean, we've 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 read Galatians, maybe chapter six, where it reminds us to carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Meaning, when we bear one another's burdens, when we when we like a like a weight, put that on our back and carry it, that's when we're beginning to live out our relationship of love back to Christ. Or maybe Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. You need to bear with one another and to forgive. This is the full expression of God's love, meaning this is the honors level course. This is the place where most of us never get. We we get wounded once, okay, get wounded twice, uh, not gonna happen. We're not gonna let a third time happen, right? And the writer is saying this, no, no, we're going to have to stand in this for a moment. We're going to have to live this out for a while. It may get very uncomfortable and we're going to stay in the midst of this. To bear with one another, to fig- forgive one another, is, is the evidence of the patience of God's character expressed within God's people. To bear with one another literally means to put up with one another, Right? Forgive literally means to be the kind of person that even if someone doesn't deserve it, you would forgive them. Because standing before Jesus, we don't deserve the forgiveness that we've received. This is a different cadence. And so God invites us into this dance that we would help carry our wounded brothers and sisters and that we would grant freedom through forgiveness to those who have wronged us, even if they've done it multiple times, that we would stand in the tension and give grace. Everything is being challenged to us as Christians to follow the spirit onto the dance floor, to find a t- dance partner, to learn how to dance with others. Every guy, every, grab a girl, everywhere around the world will be dancing in the streets, right? So here's what we know. Dancing is better together. I meet lots of Christians who want to just pursue God on their own. But they only see a smidgen, just a small portion of what it means to truly love. It's when we endure with one another, we begin to see the truth, the reality of this relationship. See, our identity in Jesus is expressed in our character, in the clothing of Jesus. And it's done so that we will get dancing with others. It's as if God is calling us to the dangerous middle, right? Remember in middle school when we went to that little junior high dance? And we, as guys, we stood across the hall from everybody and we stood against the wall, right? And the girls stood on the other side and we acted cool and we hung out with one another and we just kind of let the dance, just kind of the music start. And some people went and got punched and your best friend went and ate all the cookies, but you stood against the wall, right? And then that teacher comes along and he comes up and says, hey guys, you know, uh, you can stand and hold up this wall during lunch and you can hold up this wall during gym class, but tonight's a dance. Why don't you take a risk and find somebody and go dance? And all of a sudden, one of your friends gets the courage and he walks across the gym floor and he finds a girl and he says, would you dance? And she says, yes. And all of a sudden they stand out there and it's the first couple or second or third couple or friends that begin to go out there. There's a group that stands back and that looks at the dangerous middle. And what they do is they mock, they laugh, they poke fun. They call them out. And that's called the dangerous middle, right? To take the risk to step away from the wall and jump in the middle and begin to dance with others. You may bump into each other. You may step on each other's toes. You may not be a very good dancer, but what you notice is those standing on the wall eventually realize that those in the middle are having fun together. That their experience is what everybody came for. And eventually... You either become the guy that steps away from the wall and takes the risk to step in the middle or you're the guy that leaves. And I think God's calling us into the middle. How do we do that? How do we step away from the wall? How do we become the people that live out the clothing of Jesus and begin to dance in relationship with each other so that it stirs up and draws people together to say, I want a relationship with God. I want to know that difference. Verse 15 picks it back up. He says this then. This is what he's challenging every Christ follower with. Let the peace of Christ rule or reign in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. This is not an afterthought. This is a continuation of that thought. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and as you admonish or correct one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is probably a point for us to all maybe breathe deep for a moment, right? This is the point where we begin to recognize that this is our purpose. This is our identity. This is why we wear the clothing is so that we can allow the peace of Christ to rule, to reign, to determine the direction of our lives. Literally, it's the idea of making judgments of appropriate living for God. And we want to have Christ rule in our lives because we are one body, not an individual body, but collectively as Christ followers, we represent one body in Christ. And we know that when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. If one part of the body struggles, we all struggle. We're trying to get this collective understanding that this one united rhythm nation is now working together, recognizing all of us in unison before God. And while we're doing that, we get to experience the peace of Christ reigning in our lives. Now, the term peace is broken down in different ways. You could apply it first and foremost as a personal peace, that we would have individual peace within hard times. And that's a portion of the application. Or you may want to apply it that peace is applied as interpersonal peace, that we would have peace among each other. And that is true too. But the foundational portion of understanding of this idea of peace is that first and foremost, it is our peace with God that drives our ability to be peaceful in every circumstance and in every relationship. Without our peace with God, we cannot be peaceful in every circumstance and we cannot make peace in the relationships around us. You following what I'm saying? Friends, But here's the hard thing about peace. Peace often comes after conflict is resolved. Meaning there's usually a battle, whether it's interpersonally or individually or battling with God, uh, that until God's peace rules and reigns in our life, we will fight against that peace. The question is, how does this happen? Each of us must allow God to make peace in our hearts and that we must be people who surrender to the very word of God in our lives. I love it how one theologian says it. He says, the peace of Christ rules where the word of Christ dwells. In other words, he's saying this, That if we can allow God's peace to begin to permeate our lives, the way that the peace of Christ will dwell in us is when we absorb his word, his truth. Jesus made peace on our behalf. That's where the peace of Christ comes from. That we know that Jesus Christ gave his life on our behalf. That Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection was all about the payment of our sin. What we deserved, God took that on himself. That's where the peace of Christ comes. But the word of Christ comes from the very teachings of Jesus. It's what the early church began to apply, the kingdom values, the teaching of Jesus to their lives, that they literally said, because God has made peace through Jesus, his words, his teaching, his spirit now must reside in us to dwell, literally to make space. It's like going to your house and moving the furniture out of the way so that the priority piece of the room can take its place. And that's what the word of God is doing. When we apply God's word to our lives, we experience wisdom. And it comes in two forms, in teaching and admonishing. Meaning there is a time that we're learning new information and and addressing it in our lives. And then there's an admonishment. There is a correcting that comes. And oh, we don't want that. Oftentimes when we learn new information as Christians, we love to consume new information. But when we're corrected by others, we, we don't want that. We don't want that. And yet... This is how the peace of Christ begins to take over our lives and how the peace of Christ begins to dwell and root and live out in our lives when we can take teaching to understand and we can take correction to be made right. Where the peace of Christ rules, the word of God dwells. And here's what I learn. Here's what I know is true of me. What rules my life determines my view of other people. And so if the word of God is not the center of my walk and my relations, my life will be filled with strife. It'll be filled with anger and jealousy and rage and all sorts of havoc will play out in my life. This is where I believe that each of us struggle, right? If I'm not willing to let God's peace rule my heart, if I'm not willing to let God's word dwell in my heart, if I'm not willing to to teach or share others or be taught in moments, if I cannot live with an attitude of gratitude because I recognize all that God has done on my behalf and am open to how God might work in my life, how will I ever learn to dance the way God wants me to dance? Dancing with others allows us to learn dance steps. It's in getting into the dangerous middle that we begin to learn from others who already know how to dance and learn new steps and learn ways to live out in obedience. I believe God is calling us to the dance floor. God's calling his people to bring peace to the dance floor. God's calling all of us to a dance floor for God's people to bring peace in a world of chaos and hurt. It's only when we trust God to bring us from our walls, walls of isolation and exclusion, that we begin to fully mature and become who God's created us to be. Yes, that means we have to have painful conversations, but it doesn't mean we should have polarizing conversations. That means we should spend more time listening than speaking or posting. And that means that in some ways, the very paradigms and the perspectives that we've held in our lives may actually need corrected and changed. And if we are willing to step out into a world out of rhythm, we can be the ones to bring peace and bring it back into rhythm. I believe God's calling our church. God calling our church to the dangerous middle. Now we're not in middle school anymore. God's calling us out of our buildings and out of our homes and off our walls to begin to step out and do what God has called us to do to make peace, not just keep peace. This idea of the dangerous middle is not my idea. It doesn't originally come from me. It actually comes from a pastor named Ben Foote from Flatirons Church in Flatirons, Colorado. And he began to talk about where Jesus lives. Jesus lives in the dangerous middle. Jesus lives in a place where, where people are hurting and wounded. Jesus lives in a middle where Jesus mourns with those who mourns. And the dangerous middle is where Jesus serves and cares for those who are in need and need support. Jesus is where maybe a black male is found enraged and angry by today's circumstances, hurting in his own moment, wondering if his life matters. And Jesus is in the dangerous middle saying, your life matters so much, I'd give my life for you. And Jesus is in the dangerous middle, or maybe you're a police officer right now, and you're still being asked to serve and to protect this community. And Jesus is in the dangerous middle, caring and supporting for you, saying, don't give up, don't leave your post. The truth is right now, some of us don't want to step into the dangerous middle. Some of us are upset that I've even begun to talk about the dangerous middle, that somehow maybe this is becoming political. And yet outside the person of Jesus and the gospel that he represents, how will we make peace in these moments? How will we begin to make change unless we step into the dangerous middle of our lives? What if, what if Jesus calling us from our wall to the dangerous middle to begin to live out his clothing, his character, sets us into a dance, into a cadence that should draw people to the floor. And as we bump into one another, as we step on each other's toes, as we actually offend and hurt each other, what we do is we stand in the middle and we grow together. You remember how we started this year? We said, they're our band, right? That we would live in the tension. That we would live with both truth and grace. And love is where the tension is found. And we would be those people. So let let me give you a quick challenge. If you're struggling right now from getting off the wall and stepping in the middle, would you take the next seven days and read Romans chapter 12 every morning and ask yourself, what does love look like? What does it look like to be transformed by the love of God? Read it every morning and be ready to see where God leads you. So how do we do this? I mean, how do we do this as a church? I mean, we've heard that phase four is right around the corner. And what should we do to be ready to step into the middle? I think we've got an opportunity now before we re enter the building, before we start regathering back in our two locations, we have an opportunity to begin to be the people that invite others in and begin relationships of peacemaking to live out this cadence. I want to send you to a website, if you will. We are asking everyone to consider, like the early church, to begin gathering in homes first before we regather in the building the website is this, fcc-online.org forward slash church where you are. We say around here, right? Let's be the church where you live, work, and play. So let's just say it like this. Let's be the church where we are. What would it be like for us to sit down and think about friends or families? Maybe people that were in a small group with us. Maybe people who have no connection to church with us. And we just started saying, hey, would you join us on Sunday morning? Whether you watch on Facebook, whether you watch on church online, whether you watch on Fox, whatever it may be, would you start inviting people and saying, hey, I know what the limitations are. So let's, under this phase where we are right now, would would you come and let's begin to gather and worship? You'll find at this website, you'll find resources available to help you have church where you are. And what if God... What if God is using this moment before we regather to open our homes, whether we're in Rantoul or Fisher or Muhammad or Champaign or Urbana or St. Joe or Oakwood, Tolono, Unity, wherever we may be. And all of a sudden, what if homes begin to pop up gathering together in the rhythm of what God is doing? Friends, This is an opportunity for us to step forward, to be the church where we are, to live out the cadence, the dance, the rhythm of our God with each other. Let's move to a time of response. And normally in this moment, what happens in our services, in our location is people know that we begin to think about how we might respond to the message And maybe there are a few of you right now that need to make a decision of faith. How do we do that? We text the word Jesus to the number that's now on the screen. I want you to dial in that number and then I want you to put the word Jesus. And when you send that text, we will send you a connect card and you'll be able to make a decision of faith. Maybe it's to to take a next step of faith like baptism. Maybe it's to talk to somebody about questions you have about a relationship with Jesus. Maybe... It's about figuring out more information about how to be the church where you are. But whatever it is, when you text that, respond, fill out that Connect card, and we will follow up with you throughout the week, and we will help you take a next step. Another way that we respond is we begin to take communion. We have these emblems, the bread and the juice. And we're reminded that when Jesus gathered with his disciples before he was betrayed, he, he took some bread and he said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And they did. And in doing so, they remembered that it was Jesus' body broken for them, but it was also his blood poured out. And he said, This is the juice. This is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. and they did and in that commemoration that communion what we are doing is we are coming together with god and with others to be reminded that the sacrifice of jesus is for everyone and last of all we take out our phones we use the give app we respond in generosity Friends, I can't say thank you enough for the way that you have been responding during COVID-19. I can tell you that there are widows and there are orphans that were going hungry, that were without food, that now are being fed because of your generosity. I can tell you that Unit 4 and Unit 116 and this region, I see you better together and churches coming together to lead the way that families were being fed and are continuing to being fed. But the reality is even as we head to phase four, there will be more needs. Just because everybody goes back to work doesn't mean that everybody has what they need. So let me encourage you, continue to be faithful, continue to give to the mission of what God's doing in and through our church. But through all of this, may our response be that whatever God calls of us, may we be willing to say yes and follow him. Let's continue to respond in our time of worship.